The Courage to Lead, episode 116. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Aaron Thomas. Attorney Aaron Thomas is a 2002 graduate from Harvard Law School and a 1998 graduate of Emory University. Since 2004, Aaron has been known as a skilled litigator, winning dozens of jury trials and bench trials in several metro Atlanta counties. He's known as a family law specialist, representing clients in cases of divorce, custody, and child support. But better than all the courtroom success, Aaron's proudest achievements are providing quality, empathetic service to his clients who are often going through one of the toughest periods in their lives. While he's won many awards, the most treasured are those voted on solely by his clients. He's a three-time winner of Atlanta's Best Divorce Attorney from Best Self Magazine, AVO's Client's Choice Award, and Martindale Hubble's Gold Client Champion. In 2020, Aaron launched prenups.com, a friendly and fair take on the premarital and postmarital agreement. Prenups have gotten a bad reputation, but they can be useful tools for couples that want to start their financial relationship in an intentional, transparent, and fair way. When Aaron got married in 2016, he wanted to avoid the fights over finances that he saw break up hundreds of marriages during his career. He set out to draft himself a prenup that would help eliminate money arguments during the marriage rather than planning how to split up assets in a divorce. And after realizing the benefits of his own marriage, he set out to provide the service to others. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Harlan. Glad to be here. This is great. And I, you know, the whole thing about the prenups, like I said, they get a bad rap. Everybody thinks, oh, those are just for, you know, the, the big elite people. And it doesn't really impact us, you know, mortals, mere mortals, Right. Uh, but they really do come in handy, don't they? They do come in handy. Yeah. They, they can be actually very useful for kind of your, your average, um, you know, middle-class uh, couple for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to learn how you got your start in, in law um, and focusing on, you know, the, the divorce side of it and the child custody and everything like that, which has got to be challenging in itself. Um, talk about what you're up to now. Talk about prenups.com and whatever else comes up. But uh, first, I've got some questions for you. Um, listeners will know these are the questions that I ask every one of my guests. They are questions made popular on the TV show Inside the Actors Studio, where host James Lipton asks these questions of his uh, Hollywood guests from TV, stage, and film. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Aaron, if you're ready, 10 questions for you, sir. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Um. I, I think I like the word success. I have it up on a couple different posters and, and things up around uh, my house. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a good word that I, that I aim for. Good, good aspirational word. Excellent. What is your least favorite word? I know this isn't original, but I think, you know, moist has just stuck in my head. <laughs> that has come up a couple of times on the podcast. Absolutely. Um, what turns you on? Um, spreadsheets, organization, 
<laughs> okay. Um, what turns you off? Um, probably the opposite clutter, both physical and mental clutter. Yes. All right. What sound or noise do you love? Um, a child laughing. Yeah. I've got a two-year-old, so that's, that's fresh oh, nice. in my mind. That's Absolutely. the best sound in the world. Absolutely. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, styrofoam squeaking. Oh, is is a yes. pretty bad one for me. <laughs> yes, my wife would be right there with you on that one. Absolutely. Um, question seven: What is your favorite curse word? Um, not known as having the biggest potty mouth, but um, you know, a good a good D it <laughs> uh, <laughs> certainly comes in handy from from time to time. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, wow. Um, I, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, um, when I was a kid and actually tried it a little bit in college and, um, I'm a better lawyer than a comedian sure. <laughs> <laughs> as long yeah. as we're dreaming. Oh yeah, absolutely. Very cool. And what profession would you not like to do? Ooh, um, <clears throat> I think um, maybe being a, a, a therapist um, just because uh, uh, I think it is already tough enough to take on the problems of other people um, in my own business and, and therapists kind of do that on a whole nother level. And I say that having both a sister and, and a father who worked in the industry. Um, really? Yeah. yeah. So some admiration for it, but don't know Absolutely. that I would do it myself. I'm way too empathetic. I start feeling whatever they're going through. So yeah, I'm with you on that. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, the barbecue bar is that way and <laughs> frequently replenished. <laughs> awesome. That's where, that's where I want to go. I want to end up right there. That's perfect. All right, Aaron, we're going to come back, talk about how you got your start in law, uh, why you chose um, the, the type of law you did, and how that's kind of worked into your new um, project on uh, prenup.com. All right? Yeah, let's do so it. We'll talk about all of that and more right after this. So listeners, stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I am back with my guest, Aaron Thomas. Aaron, thanks again for being on the podcast. Good to talk to you, sir. Um, so tell me how you got started. Are you originally from Atlanta? I'm not. I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. And um, I came down here for college um, in the 90s and I um, went away for law school, but but loved it here in Atlanta and uh, came back here after law school. And I've been here about 20 years now. 
Very nice. So you went to Embry. Why didn't you go to Embry Law School? Um, well, uh, the easy the easy answer is because I got into Harvard and they <laughs> let me in. Um, and uh, that is something that 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 opens doors, you know, years yeah. and, and decades after after graduation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think you know having spent most of my life in Memphis and then came to college in Atlanta, I wanted an opportunity to explore, you know, to have another experience, another city and, and, sure. and obviously going up North Boston afforded that. Yeah. And I think that's important. My daughter went to uh, school out in California and when she got ready to go to college, we told her we will pay for college anywhere as long as you go outside of California. Cause you right. get the different mindset, you get the different, you know, perspective on things. I think that that is important. Um, I don't know if I'd be allowed to park cars at Harvard, but uh, congratulations on you getting there. That's awesome. Um, and then, um, so is that something you always wanted to do is be a lawyer? Is that something that, that you wanted to do from a, a young age? It, it is. Um, you know, I, I talked about wanting to be a comedian. I mean, I think there was kind of a smooth transition from, um, you know, me wanting to be a comedian and, and really a, a teacher that I had in sixth grade. Uh, kind of inspired me to be a lawyer. You know, she thought that it'd be something I'd be good at and I kind of latched on to it. And from age 12 on, I would have told you, yeah, I'm going to law school. I want to be a lawyer. Very cool. But a comedian, that is tough. That is not an easy life to get into at all. No, no. Um, I think, you know, there's a difference in uh, making your friends laugh or your family laugh and then getting on a stage in front of strangers and making and making them laugh. So absolutely. Yeah. And and when did you when did you do that? Did you try that during high school, during college? Uh, I tried it during college. Uh, I started off at a at an open mic night on campus at Emory University, and then um, you know a lot of my friends were in the audience, so I'd kind of I'd kind of stacked the deck there in my favor and and got some laughs, and and then went around and you know um, did other things, different talent shows, and uh, with some other groups. Continued and did a few times during law school as well. Um, after I got my law degree, though, I, I hung up my comedy boots and uh, <laughs> focused on my career. Lucky for all the audiences <laughs> as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but uh, you and you, you specialize in litigation. A lot of lawyers that I know kind of stay away from the courtroom. They don't want the the drama, the the what they consider theater. Is that something you were drawn to? Ab- absolutely. I think you know, the same way that a lot of lawyers avoid litigation, you know, for those reasons, for me, it was the reason to run to it. I mean, in, in some respects, it is, it is performance. You are, you are getting on a stage. You've got to read the room, particularly when you think about jury trials and you've got a bunch of strangers there um, and you've got to connect with people. And um, there's always the, the nerves before you get up and you start talking and all eyes are on you. So there's, there's hundred percent a, a performance aspect to it, but that is a big part of what drew me to want to be a lawyer in the first place. So, nice. uh, yeah. Did going to the comedy club, did that help alleviate some of that? I think so. I think so. I think the comedy club, I was in the, I was, at, I was in the Harvard law drama society. So okay. I did, you know, some acting and stage, you know, work when I was, there, I, I always played music growing up. So, you know, kind of used to being on a stage and, and performing and all of those things, I think, help for sure when it comes to getting up in front of a courtroom, yeah. in front of a judge or a jury. Very cool. And then how did you pick that area of law, working with divorce and child custody and things? Yeah, um, I 
before I did family law, I was a public defender for okay. three years. And so, you know, I represented people charged with misdemeanors and felonies here in Georgia. And um, <clears throat> I think, you know, I got in the habit of coming into people's lives and helping them when they were in one of the toughest times that they could possibly have, you know, when your yeah. freedom is on the line is, is one type of thing. Um, and uh, I was actually recruited while I was a public defender to join a family law firm. Um, and the, the gentleman that I ended up working for told me, look, this, you know, if you like being in the courtroom, um, outside of doing criminal work, if you're in the civil litigation world, family law is going to put you in the courtroom more than anything else. Um, and you still get to have that experience of, you know, kind of coming in and helping somebody through one of the biggest challenges, one of the most difficult experiences of their lives. And yeah. uh, I think that's what attracted me to it. Yeah. Cause uh, nobody is at their best during a divorce, during child custody battles and stuff. We have a friend who's going through things right now. That's just, I can't even imagine, you know, having to do that. How do you, how do you separate because like I said, I'm a very, you know, empathetic type person. I start feeling, you know, I would want to go over and slap somebody if they injured a child or, or something like that. How do you separate that? How do you do that? Um, it's not easy. You know, I won't, I won't lie. It is something that I have worked on um, throughout my career to uh, set boundaries um, and have a way to uh, cut it off at the end of the day and focus on being with my own family. Um, but, um, I think I, I really enjoy, um, my clients, you know, one of the benefits of having your own business is you get to, you get to choose your clients the same way that you choose, they choose you. Um, so, uh, I got, I, I get some ability to, to choose the people that I work with. And there's, there's certainly a satisfaction with, um, getting someone to the end of, you know, a challenging experience and you feel like you've gone through the trenches with them. And there's a, there's a bond that you, that you get with these people. And, um, I've been able to really get a lot of satisfaction out, out of that experience through my career. Nice. Now the perception also is that a lot of the, in divorce, when there's children involved, um, the court leans a little bit more towards the, the wife, the mother of the kids. Is that, is that true? Or is that just a perception that we have? I think there, I think there is certainly an element of, of truth to it, you know, historically, um, and if you go back decades, there were laws on the books that specifically said that the mother would have custody unless she was, you know, addicted to drugs or, you know, mentally incapable of, of taking care of the children. Um, and while those laws have come off the books, there are certainly, um, you know, leanings that a lot of judges have. I mean, judges are humans like anybody else. And so, you know, you can certainly go into a courtroom where a judge has the perspective that women raise the children and, you know, men, you know, earn the money. Um, I think that even over the, say, 15 years that I've been practicing family law, that there, there, there is a shift that is happening. Um, and uh, we have a lot more women judges, uh, number one, who are career-oriented women, um, you know, if you end up on a bench, you know, certainly you qualify. Um, and uh, I think some of that perception that only, you know, mothers can provide what's needed to have, you know, custody of their children, some of that is going away. Um, and men are on a more even playing field when it comes to, you know, obtaining custodial rights. Yeah. Good stuff. But yeah, working, I, again, you having having the ability to then help people you see that are struggling 
through this difficult time and stuff like that. That's got to be rewarding. And you've won a lot of awards, not from other lawyers, but from the people themselves. That's got to be rewarding. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is something that um, I, I really pride myself on. And the people that I've hired to work in my firm, um, uh, you know, the number one qualification is, are you going to be able to relate to clients? Are you going to be able to have the empathy and remember that this may be your 100th, your 200th, your 300th divorce case that you've been a part of, yeah. but for the client, it's the only one that they have going on. Right yeah. then, maybe at the, you know, at the time, yes. At the, the time, at the yes. time, yes. Right, right. For and for for most of them, it's going to be their first, and even if it's their second, um, you know, they're they're in it. And I think that if you go and look at the reviews um, that our clients have left us, certainly they'll talk about our our acumen, our ability in the courtroom, and our our legal reasoning. Um, but the number one thing that you're going to see is that. Uh, they feel like we cared and mm -hmm. that we wanted to help them through this process uh, that we recognize that they're more than just, you know, a number or a case, but a human being. Um, and I think that's just so important for the kind of work that we do. Nice. Now, have these folks, have most of them gone through or, or attempted mitigation and then they come to you or do you try to work mitigation before or do you guys go straight to trial? How does that work? Um, in, in today's court system, judges are pretty much universally going to require that couples go to mediation before you have a court date. Um, and so most of the time we are going to mediation with them. So we will try to settle the case. Uh, my philosophy is if we can jump to kind of the end result, um, let's, let's try, let's give it a shot trying to get to the very end. Let's make a settlement offer. Let's sit down for mediation. Let's see if we can hammer it out. Um, and quite honestly, 90% plus of divorce cases are settled before they go to a final trial. Um, and so certainly that's going to be the best case scenario for most people is not to end up in a courtroom where it's more expensive. It takes more time uh, without even getting into the impact that contentious litigation has on the children yeah. uh, when they're present in a marriage. So, And that's, yeah, that, that would is what would get me. Cause I've seen situations where parents use the child as pawns in their little okay. game and it just it drives works. me crazy. Yeah, man. Um, so prenuptials, how did you, is it due to the work that you've done with, uh, with clients that you saw the need for this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I noticed a pattern when I started doing family law and I started in, in 2007. So I was there for the big financial crisis, the, the you know, the housing market collapse uh, and watched what that did to a lot of couples that ended up in my office. And, um, you know, people would point the finger and I thought you were handling finances and no, we're in this situation because of your spending and your, you know, bad decisions. And, um, it struck me that um, so many couples, um, their financial arguments and pretty much every couple that gets divorced, it may not be the number one reason why they got divorced, but there is an element of disagreement over the finances that plays into almost every divorce case. Sure. Um, and uh, I realized that a lot of the problems that couples had were not just how to divide up their assets at the end of the marriage or how to handle their finances, you know, as in the context of the divorce case, 
but they really stemmed from problems that they had setting up their finances at the beginning of the mm -hmm. marriage or a misunderstanding as to what constitutes marital property and what constitutes separate property and who should be responsible for what and who really owns what assets uh, in the marriage. Um, and that is really what spurred me to, to want to do prenups. You know, being a divorce lawyer is probably one of the, the best things for scaring somebody off of getting married. <laughs> and I, I was still single. I was not married um, when I started doing divorce work. And once I started learning how bad an ugly divorce could be, um, I would tell my friends and family, just don't get married. Just don't do it under any circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> you can have a party, invite your friends, throw rice in the air, right. you know, have a DJ, change your last name if that's your thing, but don't actually go through with the, with the marriage because you have no idea you know, people say that buying a house is the biggest financial decision you make. No, absolutely not. Getting married is the biggest financial decision um, that anyone can make. And uh, obviously, my I am now married. My views changed over time, and I realized, well, you can do it if you if you address certain things. There are certain principles um, that are tried and true and lead to a more successful relationship with your spouse and your money. Um, and when I got married, uh, like you said, in my introduction in 2016, I set out to say, okay, for my wife and I, I want to avoid every, all of the predictable arguments that couples have over money. How can I get out in front of these? And I literally tried to draft the prenup that would help me stay married, the prenup that would help me and my wife avoid all of the money arguments that I would see clients have. Um, and uh, you know, started telling friends about it at, you know, parties or get togethers and, and people started saying, you know, you're onto something because you, you, you know, something, or people would say, you know, I don't have a lot of arguments with my spouse, but you've given me ideas of, mm -hmm. of things that we can go home and try, you know, to, to eliminate any kind of financial sure. tension in our household. So that's yeah, cause I know a lot of the conversations, my wife, no, don't, we don't argue necessarily, but a lot of the conversations are about money, you know, related to money. And it's, uh, you know, spending habits, it's should we save for this? Should we invest in that? Should we, you know, buy a new car, buy a used car? Simple things like that. You don't think about it. And I don't think school prepares people enough to have those type of conversations or understand what comes along with that contract you're signing that says yeah. we are now married, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, school doesn't prepare you for it. Um, and most premarital counseling sessions that you do. They're going to talk about the emotional side of your relationship, but rarely do they touch on how do you resolve, you know, financial issues, you know, during your marriage? Do you, do you put everything in one joint account? Do you keep separate accounts? That's not part of the curriculum of your average premarital, you know, counseling <laughs> session. And then society on top of all that. So it's a, money is taboo. It's, it's rude to talk about money. It's, it's, you know, it's taboo to talk about finances. And so um, couples just kind of stumble in to, uh, you know, this, this huge financial decision that they're making without any real guidance. Um, and I really saw that there was a need there to, you know, help couples learn how do you merge two separate financial lives into, Absolutely. you know, kind of one household. Yeah. I, you know, cause you, a lot of times you just go with what your, your parents did. You're used to seeing this, you know, my dad came home, handed the money to my mom. She had her envelope system set up. That was how we, you know, Dave Ramsey would have been proud. That's the way we did everything uh, with the finances and stuff. But 
yeah, nowadays you just you just don't even don't even think about it. Even if you go through a church um, pre uh, marital counseling and stuff like that, a lot of that has to do with the emotion and respect for each other, which I think is important too. But sure. nobody talks about the finances. Yeah, yeah, and and you know it's such a great point that you make about we we typically do what our what our parents did, um, and you know the point that I try to make is that that doesn't always work for today's couples. So you've got you know, our parents' generation, my parents got married in, in the 1960s. And the couple back then, um, the average age of getting married was 21. And so they were starting from scratch. So usually they didn't have a mortgage, you know, student loan debt was nothing like it was today. Credit cards barely existed. They were unlikely to have a 401k at that time. And so the couple getting married in the 1960s at age 21, it was like a blank slate. You were starting, it was like a startup company starting from scratch together. Yeah. And the average couple getting married today is closer to age 30. And that couple is likely to have tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt, four or five bank accounts, four or five credit cards, one or two retirement accounts, one or both spouses has a, a business or 401k. Yeah. And so if getting married in the 60s was starting a startup company together, the couple getting married today is like merging two already formed corporations. It's just so much more complex and it requires some guidance and some help. Uh, to show couples how to do it in my, in my. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the Brady bunch. Um, and my background is in organizational change management. So we're working with companies that are undergoing merger acquisition and that's tough. There's a lot of things to consider. And if you don't consider them, <laughs> they come up at the least opportune times. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Wow. So now I know if it, my daughter just got married in October um, and she was 37, 38. Um, for somebody who got married without a prenup, is it wise to go after the fact and say, let's talk about this? Or is it too late at that point? I don't think it's ever too late to, to try to get your, your finances in order. Um, and in fact, a lot of the times when I'm doing, I'll do post ups for couples. So same kind of idea as a prenup, but it happens after the date of the marriage. Um, and uh, it's a couple that want to get on the same page with, you know, how are we going to handle our finances? You know, if one person moved into the other person's house, you know, uh, are we going to say that that person keeps, you know, any equity they had coming in and how are we going to pay expenses going forward and what accounts do those come from? Um, you know, and, and what I find is that a lot of couples can benefit, whether they get a prenup or a postnup or not, a lot of couples can still benefit from a lot of the, the principles that that mm. we push, which is, you know, certainly have a joint bank account, but each spouse should have their own separate accounts as well and sit down and have a, a conversation about, okay, what expenses do we have over the course of a month or a year and which of those are truly joint and should come from a joint account that we, we both contribute to and what expenses are separate that should stay in our separate, you know, accounts and we pay from, you know, our kind of fund money or an mm -hmm. allowance, you know, even if you will, um, such that, those kinds of expenses don't cause arguments. And the only expenses that are coming out of the joint bank account are the ones that we've already agreed upon ahead of time. And that's just one principle um, that, that we talk to couples about including in their kind of financial system when getting married. Um, Definitely. Just making a note that my wife's Amazon account is separate from this point <laughs> forward. Um, but yes. pre so, so if, if, I mean, I know if I had told my wife when we were dating that I wanted a prenup, that might've caused some heartburn. How was that discussion for you and your fiance? Yeah. Um, 
it for me and my fiance, um, I was lucky. Um, one, she is also an attorney. Um, okay. And two, she had been married before. And so okay. I think she understood the the benefits of getting clear about money issues, you know, going into the marriage. Um, and also, I think, you know, both for us and for other couples and maybe your listeners who are wondering, you know, how do I even broach this conversation? Um, the the steps of getting a, a prenup and having these discussions, I think, are way less offensive than just coming out of the gate and saying, hey, honey, we need a prenup. <laughs> Certainly, I would never advise that you do that. But when you break it down into its component pieces, I think it's much, much less objectionable. So, I mean, usually I start with being transparent about what you're bringing in. You know, what are your assets? What are your debts? Uh, certainly you don't wanna be surprised to five years into the marriage to find out that your spouse has a hundred grand of credit card debt or owes the IRS, you know, 50,000 and, and your, your returns are being garnished. So um, literally writing down on paper and having a time where you're transparent about your finances. Um, you know, sitting down and talking about what expenses are gonna come out of the joint account what are gonna come out of your separate accounts and how much money do you put in the joint account to fund these expenses and what are your priorities? Um, certainly people don't disagree with that. Another thing that we put into agreements is um, that you've got to discuss any purchases that come out of the joint account over a certain amount. You know, For some couples that's a hundred dollars, it might be a thousand, it might be 5,000, but every couple has a number over which they want to be consulted before that money is, is taken out of the joint account. Right? Well, right, right now, you know, around the holiday time, you, you see, you know, the husband brings the wife out and here's a brand new car with a red bow on it. Right. How did that happen without her knowing about it? You know, how did that happen? Right. And, and in most cases, I, I think what those commercials don't show is the discussion that happens after about, uh, did, shouldn't you have talked to me before you committed me to a $50,000 purchase here? Um, so, um, you know, just, you know, those kinds of elements, you know, another thing we'll put in agreements is, um, you know, my wife and I have a rule where we have to sit down every December. We just kind of went through this process and, and take a look back at, you know, what was our spending last year? What do we want our spending to look like for the upcoming year? What are our retirement contributions going to be? Are we going to max them out? Are we going to put money in a health savings account? Those kinds of things. Um, and then, Certainly you want to talk about the, what I call the contingency conversations, which is preparing for things going bad. That could be anything from, from life insurance. And, you know, do we have a will? You know, these are kind of discussions that I think couples should have when they get married. And then yes, absolutely. What happens if we don't work out? Can we agree on a fair way that doesn't have us spending, you know, half of our net worth on lawyers and a year in a courtroom um, to, you know, come up with a fair way while we love each other and respect each other, can we come up with an agreement on, you know, how would we make sure that both, that the other one is taken care of if the marriage fell apart? Um, and I think when you break it down into all of those little components and then say, okay, now let's wrap this all up and let's put it down on paper and, you know, and put our signatures on it, that I think is a much better approach than, you know, uh, you know, after you pop the ring out saying, oh, and by the way, <laughs> you got to have a prenup, honey. <laughs> so that's that's kind of my approach. Yeah. No, and I, I am very fortunate. My wife, we had these conversations as we were dating. We had the conversations as we were um, getting together. And every year we sit down around Thanksgiving, I think, and actually plan our year. How did we do this year? What are we going to do next year? And how do we do this? Every discussion about every every not every dime we spend, 
But like I said, any of those big things, we want to make sure that we're both on the same page. So I've been real fortunate, but I know a lot of people who just just aren't. So beneficial. Up in. Yeah. Definitely. So the the podcast is about courage. Um, where did you find the courage to, number one, decide to be a lawyer, number two, a litigator, number three, get up on the stage and be a comedian, which definitely takes some, some guts and stuff. Where did you find that courage? Um, I think, you know, I think a little bit of it is, is, you know, you're, you're born with it. Some of it is just your personality. You know, I was, I was that kid um, trying to, you know, crack jokes and entertain my mom's friends at her Tupperware parties as a kid. And, (laughs) and I think a lot of it also comes from uh, having parents who were really supportive of me and, um, you know, anything that I said I wanted to do, they said, absolutely, you were able to do that. You know, even when I wanted to be a comedian, they said, yes, you can do that. But then when I said I wanted to be a lawyer, they were, they were a little bit more supportive, I think, of, of, of that idea. Um, but but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think that kind of household that I grew up in, that kind of support, um, you know, put me in a position where I felt like I felt like there wasn't anything I couldn't do. And then we talk about like different types of courage, um, intellectual courage, um, the constant learning, being able to set aside your knowledge to make room for new knowledge, empathetic courage, social courage, um, saying what needs to be said, even if it's unpopular and stuff. Is there a type of courage you think um, is most important? Yeah, I, um, you know, I think that and it might be one of the types of courage that I struggle with the most, but have been working on, you know, for myself. And I think that's the, uh, the emotional courage, which I see as, you know, the ability to, uh, to be vulnerable, um, the, the ability to have, you know, some humility and, and recognize that you don't know anything and put yourselves in positions where, um, you know, you are able to be hurt. Um, but that's also the kinds of things that, that bring the most joy. I mean, you know, having a, having a child, having a young child and, and watching, you know, that kid grow up in the world is, you know, one of the most fear inducing <laughs> experiences I think that, you know, a human can have and, um, you know, allowing, trusting your child to make decisions and, and grow up and, and potentially even make mistakes, knowing that, you know, um, they're going to make mistakes and, and, and having kind of the ability to step back and allow that to happen is, is a courage that is tough for me, but I think uh, could also be, you know, extremely beneficial both for you and for, you know, your family. Yeah. Seeing my daughter grow up and she's just an amazing, amazing woman. And the the choices, the decisions she made, she's awesome. I don't know where she got it from. I don't know, (laughs) but she's been amazing. Um, In your law firm, how many folks do you have working for you? There is seven of us. Yeah. You know, a mix of attorneys and uh, and paralegals and, and, and then an admin. So, So if I was to bump into any one of these folks on the road and talk to them about you and your leadership style, what would they tell me? What type of leader are you? Um, I think, and I hope that they would say that I am, that I'm a coach. Um, I see, I see, you know, my team as, you know, they are, they are the talent, you know, they're the ones that are interacting with, you know, my clients and, um, I think I am there to uh, to guide, and and a lot of them have strengths that I don't even have. But um, I, I think they would hopefully say that I'm I'm putting them in a position 
to have success and uh, to flourish, you know, and and show off their own talents rather than someone who is coming in and and micromanaging, you know, every every piece of the process. Um, yeah, that's that by itself, I think, is takes courage, you know, allowing, you know, your staff to go out there and, and handle um, and run things in the business um, without, you know, having to come in and try to control every little piece of it. Sure. Well, it's like your kid getting, you know, riding their bicycle. You can't hold on to the seat the entire time running them down the block. You have to let them go. They have to fall at some point. You pick them up, dust them off send them on their way again, I think. And that's, it is tough for any business. I'm working as a business coach. I'm working with other clients, the same thing. They, they want to delegate, but they want to keep control. And it's like, well, you can't do both. Right. Right. You, you teach them as a business. Yeah. Owner. yeah. yeah. There's yeah. only one of you. And if your business is successful, it, you know, it, it'll reach a point where you've got to trust somebody else besides yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Teach them the best you can and then let them go, let them learn, you know, coach them through the process and, yeah. yeah. Let them grow. Absolutely. So on your, on your website, prenups.com, um, are there informational uh, like check sheets or brochures or things like that that people can look at? Yeah, absolutely. At, at prenups.com, we've got an ebook that's called seven financial strategies for building a rock solid marriage. Um, and it's, it's free. It's a free download. Um, certainly I would encourage, you know, your listeners to go check it out. Um, like I said, it's it's not all about getting a prenup. It's about the strategies that any couple can implement, uh, whether at the beginning of the relationship or, or 20, 30 years in. Um, and there's also uh, several videos uh, where I talk about some of these different principles and techniques that uh, we encourage couples to implement in their own marriages. Excellent. And then if people are considering, let's say they've gone through, they're considering divorce, do you recommend them go together? Do you recommend them to find separate attorneys to represent them? How does that usually work? Yeah, if a couple is is going to go uh, is going to get divorced, um, both uh, both spouses have to have their own attorneys. Okay, um, so each will have to be independently represented. Um, but you can go and um, find attorneys that are collaborative and make it clear to them that you want to give settlement a try. And there are a lot of attorneys, um, and there's more every day that uh, do what's kind of called collaborative divorce, where um, you can have uh, what I would call an intentional, a conscious decoupling. Um, and a lot of more and more spouses, more and more spouses are choosing to go through the divorce process where they go to mediation first um, and only go to litigation, only file the case if absolutely necessary. In fact, that's one of the one of the provisions that I include in almost every prenuptial agreement that I draft is a, the couple commits that they are going to try mediation um, and do some amount of counseling before they go through the divorce process to try to avoid, um, you know, I have a phrase that I like to say, which is, you know, a messy divorce is best avoided at, at any cost. Yeah. Um, no one's disagreed with me on that statement yeah. yet. And so, um, certainly, you know, um, a messy contentious divorce should be an absolute last uh, resort and it's no longer necessary. There are options to, to, to get divorced without it becoming a drag out expensive fight. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it can be definitely expensive. Um, and then uh, prenups.com, is that uh, across the U S is it just here in Atlanta now? Or are there plans to franchise or how do you, how is that going to work? 
Yeah, we are we are planning on adding more and more states uh, every month. Right now, we are in we're in Georgia, Virginia, and New York. Um, but it is our plan to uh, eventually take this nationwide. And so, um, what we say is, if if you are looking to get a premium, but you're in a different state, contact us, and uh, we are partnering with attorneys across the nation, and can always find someone. Um, to help draft an agreement that will uh, put you hopefully on a road to success where you draft an agreement and you never ever have to use it. That's our, that's our goal. Excellent. Very cool. And so what's next for you? Anything on the horizons? Um, uh, really growing this uh, prenuptial uh, agreement practice, you know, um, if I could be so bold as to say, you know, I would love if, uh, you know, it became kind of a standard thing that couples entered into uh, prenuptial agreements. And um, it certainly wouldn't be great for the world of divorce lawyers, but uh, (laughs) I I wouldn't mind putting my divorce firm out of business if it meant that, um, you know, couples were going in with agreements that could help them avoid arguments during the marriage and, you know, minimize the need for any kind of uh, contentious litigation on the tail end if necessary. Absolutely. Yeah, just this education up front would help, you know, having having that knowledge going into it. So that's awesome. Any uh, any return to the comedy stage for you? Um, probably not until uh, my my daughter is old enough to uh, have me come to her class and embarrass him, <laughs> embarrass her in front of her classmates. Uh, otherwise, I, I plan to keep my jokes for uh, friends and family gatherings. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a certain age where all they do is give you the eye roll, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, dad, please stop. Yeah. Yes. I know. <laughs> I've seen it myself. All right, Aaron, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so the website is prenups.com, right? Yes. Prenups.com. Yes. And you've got the link there for the seven financial strategies for building a rock solid marriage. Very cool. Is there a, a different uh, website for your law firm? Yes. Um, for those that are interested in, in learning more about our, our practice where we do divorce, child support, child custody, we're at AaronThomasLaw.com. AaronThomasLaw.com. Perfect. And you are on LinkedIn, correct? Yes. You can okay. also find us on LinkedIn and we've got a Facebook page as well. Awesome. All right. I will make sure that all of those links are in the show notes for everybody. And again, Aaron, thank you so much. Appreciate you being on on the on the call today and stuff. And thanks for uh, clarifying a lot of that stuff about the prenups. Like I said, I you, you, you people have this impression that prenuptial agreements are for the rich and famous, but really they can help anybody. You help your average couple. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on, Harlan. It's been a blast. Right. It has been fun. All right, listeners. Hope you guys were taking notes. Um, check the uh, the show notes down on the bottom uh, for links to uh, Aaron Thomas law and for prenups.com. And uh, again, if you like this episode, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 